0: turn together now to the book of Revelation and chapter number 5, and we can read verse 1. Revelation 5, and at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And so on down to verse number 10. and we know that yesterday, I'm sure uh, many of us, if not all of us, uh, in some way, took part in the coronation day when His Majesty uh, King Charles III was uh, crowned as king. We saw um, some of the service and the key aspects of that service, and the way in which he was set apart, and the way in which he responded in response to the oaths that were laid upon him and every way in which he responded at different parts of the service. And in many ways for someone who saw his mother crowned when he was aged four and now being crowned himself as king all these years later, he was perhaps one of the longest kings in waiting certainly in our history. Coronation Day the crowning of the king. It's a key moment in the life and experience of every nation. When we read our Bibles, there has always been a challenge, a question raised as to who really is king. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the history of the children of Israel, we see it in the New Testament, uh, by the way in which the The Roman Empire was raised up in the providence of God and the way in which there was such a thing as empire worship and there was a challenge to the Lordship of Christ and to the kingship of Christ and to the God who reigns. Time after time, there is that challenge to the kingship and lordship of God and of his Christ. In our own world, certainly in our own nation, We are living in such a time, a time when there is little or no sign of acknowledging the kingship and lordship of Christ. On the other hand, where there is every attempt made to remove every sense of his lordship and of his kingship and of his reign from every area of life. And when these things happen, as they happened in the Bible and as they happen in experience today... We need to know something of what God has to say and bring us to his word in such a way as to find out for ourselves not only who is king, but what he is doing in every period and moment of history. So today I want to to look at this chapter against that context. It's a revelation given to John. It was things that were going to soon to come to pass. It was a revelation through which he spoke to the churches, or Jesus spoke to the churches, in chapters 2 to 3. And having done that, it's now putting the church in the context of the history and the program of God's purposes for salvation. And when you come into chapter 5, that's really what's happening, because we have God on his throne in chapter 4. What does that mean for the churches that have been so examined by God? And so today I want to look at the confidence of faith in Christ's coronation. When our faith is shaken, we need to be able to rest in the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. I want to see, first of all, that we have in the chapter a charter. A grant written by a king or anybody who has power. By which anybody is given existence and according to which it's going to function. And here in this chapter we see in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. We could say on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. It's not something that he is grasping with his hand. It's something that is laid on the palm of his hand. And clearly as we read verse 4, Who is the person who is seated on the throne? It is the Lord God Almighty. The only true and living God. Who is worthy of all glory and honour and power. He is the one sitting on the throne. And on his right hand. He is setting before John in this revelation. A scroll. And when we Think of the scroll and see on the other way in which it is ex- explained to us here. It is a document that can be rolled up. In this case, it's a document that has something written on, on the front and on the back of it. And that makes it a special document because such a document, which was written on the front and on the back, was very much a private document. It wasn't something that was going to be put on sale for use. This was a private family document. It's written on both sides. And when we think of what that could be, what is the scroll that the living and true God has in his hand, which is written on both sides and which is for the people of God? We look back to to the Old Testament and we see, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 2 That there is such a scroll that is given by God to the prophet that speaks of the lamentation of God and the judgment of God upon the people. It's a scroll of judgment. We go to Daniel chapter 12, and there are great things written about the end times when the day will come when those who are in the dust will rise. Some to everlasting bliss. Some to everlasting judgment. Speaks of the end times. And Daniel is told to to shut up these things in a book because they are sealed. It speaks to us of the purposes of God. The purposes of God for the salvation of his people. The purposes of God for, for judgment on those who are not his people. In other words, this scroll is God's charter, God's program for humankind on this world and in this world. It speaks about His own purposes from day to day. It speaks about the journey of the people of God down through history. It speaks about the last day when the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, will return in all of his glory when every eye will see him, as we read in chapter 1, it speaks about the complete story of God's purposes for redemption. And here are a people who are discouraged and who are suffering and who are under so much pressure from the world around them to deny their faith, To, as the children of Israel were in in the book of Exodus, where is this God, this invisible God? We don't see his working. We don't see him physically. Where is he? The pressure to conform to a world without God, in which God has no input and no control. They needed to hear that on the throne of the universe there is the only true and living God, And whatever happens in their daily lives is written on the scroll that he here is holding in his hand. And for you and for me also, is this not a reminder to us to to lift our thoughts, our thinking from all that is happening around us and to remember who is in control and we read psalms like psalm number two. Why are the heathen raging against the Lord and, and is anointed, and, and anointed? They are plotting against the Lord of glory, the nations of the earth. And then the psalmist says, the one who sits in heaven shall laugh, will scorn them all. He is sitting in control. The scroll is on his hand. Everything that happens. Will be in accordance. With his decree and plan. And when we. See the scroll. On the palm of his hand. There is. A crisis. And the crisis is. With regard to the fact. That the scroll is. Sealed. In other words, as well as the the, the seals pointing to the authority of the document, pointing to the author of the document, pointing to the, the, the contents of the document that they are spoken with somebody who has the right to write in this way and also to command and to speak to the world in this way, the seal speaks of all of these things But it also speaks of the fact that what is in the document is a secret. I mentioned earlier that the scroll written on both sides was for private use. And here is a sense of the contents of the scroll being a secret because of the seals that are upon it. And it is sealed with seven seals. There is that sense of completeness, that idea of seven that we see so much of in the book of Revelation that speaks of wholesomeness and of perfection and of completeness. It is completely sealed with seven seals. And the crisis is with regard to the fact That unless there is somebody who can open the seals will never know what's in this book. And therefore the cry goes out from the mighty angel in verse number 2. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? There is the cry for somebody who has the right and the authority who is placed in the balances and founding to meet the requirements of God and having met the requirements of God that he can then go and open the seals, read what's in the document and let the world know what are the purposes of God. And for them and for ourselves today, If there is a scroll, and there is a scroll with all of the information in it, unless I can read it, unless somebody tells me what's in it, then it's of no value to me. I can't believe that the living God is sitting on his throne and he is in control. But unless someone tells me what that control means for me and for my world, then it's meaningless. My faith finds no confidence, no resting place as long as the scroll remains sealed. Who is worthy? In the prophecy of Ezekiel, it was God himself. Ezekiel chapter 2. we we'll read through the New Testament and that Paul, for example, in Romans chapter 11, speaks about the the mind of the Lord, who knows the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? A mystery hidden that we cannot know unless somebody comes to reveal them to us. And so for John receiving this revelation, he is held in suspense. Here is what God has, here is what is necessary. And unless there is provision for what is necessary, then John is never going to know the things that are going to come to pass. And if for ourselves today, we we could put ourselves into that kind of state of suspense. Let's imagine that we're John. Let's imagine that we don't know what's coming next. And let's imagine that God is telling us this and God hasn't told us what this soul contains. Then there is suspense, there is no comfort, the fears continue, the fear that God is not in control. There is the charter. Secondly, then, there is the coronation. And because of the crisis, that there is no one found anywhere in heaven or on earth or under the earth able to open the scroll or look into it, I began to weep loudly. There is grief and there is sorrow in the heart and in the mind of John because of the fact that there is no one. And as, as far as his as, as understanding goes, there is no one that can fill this gap and be considered worthy to open the scrolls. The grief and the sorrow that comes because he doesn't know what's going to happen to himself. The grief and the sorrow because he doesn't know what's going to happen to the kingdom of God. The grief and the sorrow because he doesn't know that God's promises will be fulfilled. And that's something of what we read of in Psalm number 77. The psalmist in his own crisis are God's promises at an end for all time. He looks around him and he looks into himself and all that he concludes is that that God has ceased to work. Has, he says, God forgotten to be gracious? Has he shut up his compassion? It's a sense of hopelessness because the scroll remains unopened. And today if we are the children of God struggling along in life's way in in a world which is constantly engaged against the kingdom of God and we are looking to discover whether we are the children of God or not then we ourselves will have this grief and have this sorrow. Lord, please give me someone. Show me who can open this scroll. Show me who can begin to explain to me what you are doing now and what you are going to do afterwards. Unless that happens, I can only conclude that God has ceased to work. And too often we reflect on where we are today in comparison to where we were as the people of God. And the immeasurably great decline that can lead us to that very place where, like the psalmist and like John, we may begin to conclude, has God shut up all his compassion? That he is going to work no more. It's the low point, it's the low ebb of our faith, where the world has ground us down into the place where we fail to see light, and where we fail to see promises, and where we can't lay hold of anything that will give us strength. And it is into that crisis that we have the announcement of the coronation. Stop crying in verse 5. We could expand what John is saying and say it like this. Stop crying because what you imagine to be true is not true at all. In other words, you imagine that there is no one who can open the scrolls of this book. In fact, you have come to the wrong conclusion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What good news. That God will come to John. That God will come to us. And in all our wrong conclusions. By the way what you're supposed to be through. Is so far from the truth. And let me tell you. Let me show you how. And what does. God tell John. He tells him. That God has a king. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered. There are two images and two Bible passages that, that God wants John to lay hold of. And the first of these is in Genesis 49, where, where Jacob is blessing his sons, and he comes to bless Judah. and he describes Judah as a lion's cub. He describes him like a, a crouched lion who is going to put his hands on the neck of his enemies. He's a powerful lawgiver and he is going to have great military victory and all his enemies will fall down before him. And that will continue and will be fulfilled especially when the day will come when Shiloh will come. That is when the Messiah will come when the promised King of God will come into the world. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was a lion. But Jesus is the great lion. He is the Messiah in all of his glory. And he's also the root of David. And in Isaiah chapter 11, that's how the Messiah is promised The root of David will arise. The spirit of the Lord will be upon him. He he will go out in righteousness to judge the poor. He, He will have righteousness as the belt of his waist and truth as the belt of his loins. And he will go out and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Another image of The coming Messiah, the Son of God, coming into the world, God's promised King, in all of his military strength and glory and power, he will strike down. And both of these images are rolled into this one person who is the the glorious Messiah who has come into the world and who is now in the presence of God, the Messiah. The anointed one is the Messiah. And the anointed one is in Psalm 2. I have set my king upon Zion, my holy hill. He has conquered. He has prevailed. He has been in the place of conflict. uh, And he is the one who has secured the victory. Sit down, says God to his son in Psalm 110 the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand there is a divine program somebody needs to explain it to me and here is the message from God that is going to be explained and shown to me by the son of God the sent king of God the Messiah of God the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has the authority because he has conquered. And he is the one to whom God says, ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You and me and those around us promise of God to his son on the day of his coronation. I will give them to you as your possession. And he has the right to open the seals. And when we read from verse 6 onwards, we see the way in which he takes one seal after another and he unfolds the mystery of the sequence of what's going to happen in the experience of the people of God until we come to the very end when the seventh trumpet will sound and when all of the end things will start falling into place and one after the other everything will be fulfilled and the end will come. Who is worthy? King Charles The third is crowned as king. And in his coronation, he himself acknowledged that he was king under King Jesus. And the very orb itself, with its sense of the continents of the world in, in the ball of the orb, and the cross of Christ on the top of the orb as he embraced that, reflects the way in which he saw himself as the servant of the great servant king, of King Jesus, the coronation. We come to the gospel and we find our confidence in the fact that our daily providence, events around us in the world, are in his hands to explain to us and to show to us the coronation. And thirdly, the communication. What are the key things that he communicates from his kingly throne? What is the message to us? And there are the two things, first of all, we see in verse 6, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes. I saw a lamb. The lion becomes a lamb in the transformation of the story. The lamb. I read in Genesis chapter 22 and when, when, when God Abraham has been told to go and sacrifice Isaac and there's a mystery and Isaac says to his father here is the wood and the fire but where is the lamb for a burnt offering God will provide for himself a lamb I read of the children of Israel in in Egypt and the plagues are closing in on, on the Egyptians. And there is the plague of death. And I read of a Passover lamb. And when the lamb is slain and the blood is on the lintels and on the doorposts, God will see the blood and he will pass over. And I hear Isaiah describing. The servant of God, Isaiah chapter 53, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. (coughs) He is a lamb slain. It's a sacrificial offering. He is slaughtered as a sacrifice, as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the image is that he was sacrificed. As a sacrifice, and that from that moment onwards, not only does he carry the marks of that moment, but the impact and the victory and the conquering of that moment has lasting effects for the whole community of the people of God. The lamb is in the midst of a throne as if he had been slain, and with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven Spirits of God. And the Lord Jesus, who is crowned in glory as the Lamb of God, receives the Spirit of God and it is that Spirit of God which unfolds the story. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, says Paul. Not, never, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his people, but he has revealed it to us by his I will send the comforter as Jesus he will guide you into all truth he will take my things and show them to you the lamb sitting here or standing here as, as God's king who has been set apart in the sacrifice so that he can explain to us everything that God has done and alongside of that, there is, there is the great deliverance that he has secured. And that deliverance is in steps brought before us in, 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 the, in the rest of the verses from verse 7 downwards. And in the new song at verse 9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and tongue and you have made them a kingdom of priests to your God and they shall reign on the earth. The marks that he carries are the marks that he received when he ransomed people for God. When he bought out freedom with his own blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. He died for our sins according to the scripture. We are redeemed redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are ransomed. And we shall reign with him as those who are kingdom of priests. And who are a holy people to God. And the marvelous conclusion and all of these parts of, of, of what he communicates leads us to that final resting place of the people of God, reigning with God as priests, those who are empowered by God within to live in the presence of God and to hear the words of God and to do so in the midst of the paradise of God where we have the river of the water of life and the tree of life. And there in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more death. We will reign with him forever and ever, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. May God help us today to have the kind of faith that lays hold of the fact that Jesus Christ is King of the universe, that he is in control of our everyday lives and that he explains to us from his word by his spirit everything that we need to know for our salvation and that he will keep us safe and secure because if we suffer with him we shall also be glorified together. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you as the God who does sit on your throne. We are thankful to you for the way in which You have crowned your Son as King, and we rejoice in the work that he has accomplished. We rejoice in the work that he is now doing. We rejoice in the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing uh, the grace of salvation to us in your word. And we pray that you will bless us under the reign of your Son, and under, under the ministry of your Spirit, day by day, to find joy and confidence in you as we journey on through life. So help us and hear our prayer we ask. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.